This is The 100%. I'm Angie Grace. In this episode, I have a conversation with Shailene Wong. She's an actor, writer, producer, and living in Auckland, New Zealand. I was really excited to get out of the US-centric view for this and hear a different perspective. It's great. We talk about representation, identifying one's own privilege, shall we say, and also sex, sexuality, and how that relates to race. And now my conversation with Shailene Wong. Before we start, or actually as we start, can you tell us a little bit about your background? Yeah. Um... It's, it's the classic, where are you from, really, but... Um, right, exactly. Yeah, well, yeah. So, so, so it's, even in that, like, in just, like, a normal introduction, I'm finding it hard, like, to phrase it. Yeah, it's so totally, funny Because, totally. like, in, in any sphere, it would be normal. But specifically when it's this question in this with this audience, it's always like, ugh, I get this all the time. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. But it's a huge part of who I am and my story. Like, basically everything that I create and do and you know, all the conversations I'm having in some way relate to be me being mixed race. So it is a huge part of my personal identity, but I realize that it might not be for other people. But yeah, it's a it's a hard thing because if you get to know me, you'll know it is important to me. Um, but I think it's hard when people make the assumption that it is, which is probably not a great thing to do. But um, regardless of that, I actually like to ask people, what's your background? Because it means that they can talk about, if they go, oh, my background, well, I worked in education for four years and I um, used to be a laborer and then I moved into science. If they want to talk about that kind of part of themselves, they can. Or if they take it in the way of, oh, my background is I'm Indonesian Chinese and I grew up in Singapore, then they can decide what part of their background they want to talk about. Anyway, that didn't answer your question at all. The no, 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 but, is, no, but no, but actually, I, I, that's fine. It, it, you don't need to, I, the conversation can go wherever the conversation goes, and I really appreciate that insight. I am really happy to talk about my heritage, though, because it, it is something I'm super proud of. So my dad is Chinese, Malaysian. Um, he was born in Malaysia, um, and his family are from China, so he was the first of his 10 siblings to be born in Malaysia after they immigrated. So they used to live in Xiamen in China, which is south. Um, and then he moved to New Zealand when he was 18, met my mum in Christchurch. And my mum is a New Zealander of um, Irish and English descent. That's super cool. And when did you first realize you were uh, mixed? Oh, that's a great question. Because um, I have friends who have grown up in New Zealand, and um, there's a guy that I know who's an Indian Kiwi, and he remembers like not knowing he was Indian until he like was like 12 or something, and he just started looking in the mirror like, "What the fuck?" But no, for me, for me, it was super early on because um, my parents dealt with being in, in an interracial relationship like every day of their lives since they've been together. Especially because my mom is from Christchurch and that's where they met and spent their first, you know, a few years of their relationship there. Christchurch is one of the most, the least culturally diverse cities in New Zealand. It's known for being the whitest city in New Zealand. And, um, you know, we have things like neo-Nazism sort of springing up there. And it's not a great place for cultural diversity historically. Um so I think with that awareness, my parents 
always um, tried to instill in us the pride that came from being mixed race um, and always used it as um, as kind of a leverage to make us feel proud of who we are and to make us feel special and different. So the the kind of emphasis was always on being you know, special. This is something that people are jealous of. This is something that sets you apart from people. Like everyone else is boring. You're the interesting one, which was a really nice way to grow up. But I think, you know, when you get into the real world and you realize kind of why they went so heavy on, you know, you are special, you kind of realize that, um, it's, it's sometimes, um, yeah, something that you need to remind yourself of. Hmm. Did, do you feel like they said that you were special simply because, just to um, in some ways counteract the the potential racial tension that they yes, experienced yeah. so, that's okay. totally that's totally what I was trying to say with that totally. really long ramble but no yes. it's great hmm so so did you grow up in Christchurch or did you grow up in Auckland you no mentioned? I grew up in Auckland so um but when I was born um they'd already moved um, and Auckland is, by comparison, one of the most diverse cities in New Zealand. So almost a quarter of Auckland's population currently are Asian-identifying people. So you go out on the street and there's Asians everywhere. It's great. Um, but I think when I was growing up, there weren't many mixed-race people. There weren't any mixed-race people that I can think of meeting or knowing until I was maybe like at uni even. Growing up, how did you did you identify one particular way, or how did you feel like you you fit in in that sphere? I think I always felt it was interesting. I, I always felt like I was both, but I think there's an interesting thing that I realized that I did, which was um, up until a certain age, I really went with this whole um, narrative of yeah, like I'm a New Zealander. I am you know, just as Kiwi as everyone else, even though I'm Asian, it doesn't really matter. Like, I'm just like you guys. And it was very defensive and people would jump to my defense and be like, she's just a Kiwi like everyone else. And that would make me feel really happy that I was fitting in and that I wasn't different and that I was accepted. But then there was kind of a turning point where I think um, it, it just flipped the opposite way for me. So when people would say, oh, you're not, you're not really Asian though, are you? You're not, you're not really... Chinese, um, it would make me super defensive. And I started becoming really good at arguing the other side and being like, hang on, no, I am Chinese because of these reasons. And I think that um, pushback on my Chinese identity made me lean more heavily into identifying with it and wanting to claim it and wanting to be proud of it because people would always question if I was Chinese, air quote, enough. Sure. Did you find that um, those voices that you were responding to primarily being from Chinese voices or kind of more white voices or? Um, both, really. I think I think that's what made me really disheartened because growing up, I didn't have a huge amount of Asian friends at all. I was mostly friends with white people. And when I did start, of course, those white people would always be um, misguided in their attempts to make me feel included by... Um, reassuring me that I was like them, that, that I was a Kiwi, which means to them white. Um, so there was that from my white friends. But then when I started connecting with Asian people or like, you know, if I'd go to events, family events uh, with people that I didn't know or friends of friends, 
the Asian people would also say the same thing, but the opposite, which was, you know, oh, you're not really Chinese. Oh, yeah, but you, you were raised white or, you know, do you speak the language? Oh, okay, cool, we get it. You're not really Chinese. What do you feel like being Chinese means to you then? Um, I think when I first started investigating this was when I started my theatre company, which at the time was called Pretty Asian Theatre. And pretty not meaning like aesthetically pretty, but pretty as in, you know, yeah, enough, like Asian enough. Like we're kind of Asian. We can kind of call ourselves Asian, but we're Kiwi Asian diaspora. So, you know, we can't really fully claim being Asian because that's not what that meant to us at the time. Um, but through investigating my identity through the plays and shows that I did with the company Pretty Asian Theatre, um, we rebranded ourselves a few years ago and now we call ourselves Proudly Asian Theatre. So I think that kind of summarises my journey of the, the nuance in the identity of being mixed race um, and allowing yourself to be called however you want to be called and realizing that there are layers within Chinese identity, there are layers within a Kiwi identity and that you can lay claim to or be proud of either side without having to conform to what a set notion of being Chinese or being Kiwi is. So I think where I'm at with it now is that I'm really proud of being Chinese. I'm also really proud of being Kiwi. Um, and I, I call myself Chinese Pākehā, which is so Pākehā is the Māori word for white or outsider. So it's sort of also um, laying um, laying down the foundation that I am from New Zealand. I'm a New Zealand white person. I'm not just any white person from anywhere. So Chinese Pākehā is what I go for now. Hmm, that's great. I love the, the specificity in that. Um, also acknowledging the Pākehā, how that acknowledges, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly, sorry, um, if but that acknowledges the, the white folks as also coming to New Zealand as opposed to yeah, just like, you know. themselves. Yeah, exactly. Totally. Yeah. Um, do you feel like one thing you mentioned um, a wee bit back was choosing either, in some ways, either side to identify with. Um, I find that a lot of my mixed friends will lean to one thing, Um mm. And, and, and that seems to me, I, mean, I, I have a bunch of different thoughts on it, but do you feel like, is that a way you think about it? Do you think in terms of a one or the other or a yeah. both and or uh, yeah. something else entirely? I try not to. I think, I think that's what really messes with your head is that when you try and split your identity into binaries, it's just impossible as a mixed race person. And that's where I think a lot of the internal conflict comes from, where you don't feel enough for either side and I'm sure this is a really common feeling is that if you lean too heavily into your white side you're gonna end up feeling guilty that you're neglecting the other side and vice versa um but also also feeling like there is literally no way you can ever fulfill the stereotypical or the kind of the asked for identity that is um, that is presented as the right thing or the, the whole fulsome um, idea of what people think being Chinese is or being Kiwi is. And as a mixed race person, you know deep in your soul you can never be one or the other because you are in the middle. And if you try too hard to identify with either side, I feel like that's where conflicts arise. But how do you feel about it? Because 
yeah, I feel like it's problematic to try and choose either, but I do, I do know people that identify really organically with one or the other just because of the way they were raised. Totally. Yeah. Um, it really, for me, it's, um, it does seem to be rather than one or the other does seem to me to be something else entirely. Not to say that I'm rejecting, uh, I'm mixed of a couple different things on my, my dad is mixed and, and so it's not like, you know, half and half necessarily. Mm. Um, though in his appearance, it or like my parents kind of look like it could be half, half, but in terms of the cultural background, it's, it's not quite. Um, and so I was, wasn't really raised particularly, you know, so my grandmother's Chinese, my grandfather's, uh, Japanese and, and some Polynesian Hawaiian stuff. Um, but I wasn't really saturated with those cultures. Like I didn't speak any language. Uh, uh, I didn't speak Mandarin. My grandmother did. Um, my, I have a few like great aunties who speak Japanese, but I don't. Um, so I didn't, uh, the, the, some of the foods that I ate weren't really, um, super Asian. Like I didn't really try like real, like Chinese food. Like I thought real Chinese food was American Chinese food, which yeah, really isn't, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. Um, and so one thing that I experienced growing up, I grew up mostly in, in white spaces. And so I was just always the Asian one because mm-hmm. there wasn't lots of Asian people. So it was kind of this, well, it, well, where I grew up, there was, there was white, black, like Asian and Mexican. There's not like Latino or anything like that. Just Mexican. That's all yeah, you are. Right, right. Um, and so, and so I kind of was just like the Asian one. Um, and, and so I think part of my process in when I went to uni too, was just recognizing that, Yes, but also no. And I, and I didn't really, when I encountered lots of Asian people too, I also didn't feel like I was quite, like you said, whatever that was supposed to be. That wasn't my experience either. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've, I feel like something, something a little bit different. Um, and that's, mm-hmm. um, and so that's been something that I've been intrigued by. Um, I but think I, it's, I do, um, go ahead. The, the kind of identity, I think is reinforced by the people around you. So like if you, if you were raised white, I feel like in a, in a way that I was and that you might've been that the pushback against, you know, wanting to be accepted by white people is going to make you want to culturally assimilate that way. Um, but then when I was older, I really thought that I should be assimilated to Chinese people. So I started trying to find a Chinese community and there are loads of Chinese people in New Zealand, um, loads of new immigrants and Chinese full full on Chinese communities that don't really integrate. And I was like, how do I find my way in there? But it was impossible because it wasn't organic and it was really forced and I don't speak the language. Um, and I felt really disheartened. But what I realized was having doing acting and connecting with other people like myself is that the diaspora is its own kind of third culture and mixed race and diaspora Asians who have grown up in Western countries or traveled around or sort of are that, you know, third culture kids, they are where I connect with my community. And I don't actually have to try and force myself into either side because there are so many more people like me that I've discovered that is actually a viable third option, which is great. Definitely. One thing I was talking, I was just hanging out with a bunch of who they would describe themselves as third culture kids, you know, grew, growing up in uh, L.A., but being um, their, their family and being born in Korea, but living here for a very, very long time, but feeling very much Korean American. Mm. Um, and they're talking about that third culture thing, and, but it being in some ways potentially even harder for them than it might be for us in the fact that they to even Koreans in Korea 
should look like they should be fully, you know, whatever that means, fully Korean, or, or I, you know, the language is fraught. Um, but but they said it, it it feels even harder for them because because then they t- were literally talking to me. So then they went, well, for you, they know you wouldn't be. So you're automatically like out of the running of being full, whatever it would be. Mm. Whereas we like could be, but we're not. And how hard it is for them to be so close and yet not accepted, which mm. is interesting. Like it's, it's both, it's fascinating to me that that could be as well as I'm not saying one's harder, you know, it's not a pity party, but it is interesting. Like in some ways we're never even in the running to be fully whatever it is, or it seems to be that we're, full, you know, not really ever in the running, yeah, but as exactly. they are. And there's like, yeah. there's you know, pros and cons to each of that experience. Um, that I think is really interesting. Um, yeah, and there's also a lot of like white privilege that comes with being mixed race when you have, you know, whiteness in you and you find yourself operating in spaces that are um, for people of color or for, yeah, for people of color or marginalized communities that you really want to support. Like, for example, my entire, um, my entire career is built on telling stories that are trying to empower Asian communities in New Zealand and that's what my company does and that's what I do and that's who I'm writing for and with but I still have to constantly reconcile the fact that I am mixed race Chinese Pākehā and like essentially 50% of my bloodline ethnicity and upbringing is white and that is a privilege that I bring into those spaces which is, I find that probably one of the hardest things to negotiate in my life. Do you feel like that, um, some of the, the inner turmoil with that, do you feel like that's from you or have you encountered that from other spaces or other sources? Meaning like when you're in, you know, uh, a group of lots of people of color, do you feel like that's something on their minds or more yours or how do you negotiate that? Yeah, I, I think it's a bit of both because I guess like you're always projecting what your insecurities are onto other people, right? So if I'm in a space full of, like, fully Asian people who are, you know, at a mixer or whatever, I'll be thinking that they'll be thinking it, and I'll be thinking, okay, they know, they can sniff out that I'm, like, too white to be here, or, like, you know, I have I have white privilege, and, like, you know, and I'm always think it's always on my mind, in a way, unless I'm kind of with other mixed-race people, or, you know, I know I know the people... It's, it's always something that I do have kind of an imposter syndrome about, especially when I'm speaking for the Asian community, which I tend to do a lot because um, in New Zealand, it's just there's not that many people who are doing what I do. And so I often find myself a spokesperson and an advocate for Asian, um, you know, Asian issues that come up in terms of diversity and inclusivity in the film and theatre industry. So... Yeah, it's a kind of, it's a weird feeling because I feel like I am using my mixed race privilege for good because I was raised in white institutions and I do have the education and the knowledge and the access to those white spaces. But at the same time, I'm like, I always have this gross feeling of being really inauthentic, which I don't know if that, yeah, will ever go away. In the last couple of years I've gone out in terms of acting, we, we both act. And, and so um, some of the things I was going out for was playing various things that I wasn't, whether it be full something or, you know, a, a mix that wasn't particularly mine. Mm. Um, how, and I was representing different kinds of people. Um, when 
when you're acting, obviously it's different than, or it seems to be different. Like theater spaces don't seem to care. There's, there's a history of not caring as much to, um, about exact, you know, mixes or exact things. But in, in film, it seems to be a different, like more of a one-to-one thing. At least in the U.S., it seems like that. Mm. Um, how, how have you navigated that? Um, have, have you been asked to play different things? Or is there a particular kind of like, I'm not sure policy is the right word, but... Um, yeah, yeah. Like how does it play out? Yeah, for you. Um, I mean, I pretty I get put up for everything that's labeled Asian generally. Um, and it's kind of a individual uh I, I guess it's like case by case basis as to whether I want to go up for it or not. Personally, like I used to tape for everything that I got put up for. But then I started I I guess it annoys me like the homogenization of the Asian identity is something that really bothers me. Um, the fact that people think that different Asian races are interchangeable for one another, I don't think it's a really helpful narrative. And I think it helps to dehumanize Asian people in general as like a big conglomerate. And um, yeah, f- further kind of drives this wedge between like them and us instead of sort of in- individualizing, you know, there is a difference between a Chinese and a Japanese and a Korean person, etc. So I think I, I have definitely turned down roles that I'm like, cool, I'm, I'm not comfortable playing this person because I don't feel like I can bring that depth of experience to the screen. Um, there was this kind of controversial casting that happened um, on one of our, like our most popular soap. It's called Shortland Street. Um, so there's a character who was a Filipino nurse and in, uh, in New Zealand, there are lots of Filipino um, workers in the health sector. And it was, you know, it had never happened before. Like, Asian characters are pretty few and far between on, on any kind of mainstream television. So everyone was super excited. There was an Asian character. And the casting call went out, and I got put up for it. And I was like, this character's Filipino. Are you willing to change the ethnicity if you wanted to cast me? And they were like, probably not. And I was like, okay, well, I don't want to tape for it because I know... I knew that there were at least three or four trained Filipino actresses who are the right age range to take for it and to take the role. So I was like, no, I'll decline it because I know that you're just being lazy. So then um, who ended up being cast was a Chinese woman. And the Filipino people that I had just mentioned weren't even asked to tape and they weren't approached for the role. And they chose someone who was... Um, a fairly well-known Asian actress in New Zealand. She's a really lovely person, and she took the job because of survival. And I fully, you know, respect that decision. And I think it's the fault of producers and the fault of people who are writing and casting directors to not see that nuance. And to me, that was just something that really highlighted, like, you know, what I'm what I'm about and what I'll what I'll be willing to do. But at the same time how hard it is to actually make those decisions when you have to work and you have to eat. <laughs> you know what I mean? Totally. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to have morals and, and, um, feed yourself. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and I, I, I ask not because as, as, um, you know, trying to put you on the defense or anything like that. But one thing I realized about for me is, 
and everyone, I think, is going to approach it differently. Um, one thing that I realized was it's very, very rare that I'm going to be able to play whatever mix that I actually am. Um, and so unless I'm literally writing the role for myself or, I, you know, a, a friend is mixed and, and happens to write some, you know, something very, very specific. And so I realized that um, for me, I'm, you know, of course, there's certain times and instances where I, I might feel uncomfortable or might not because of the reasons that you mentioned. Um, other times, like, I don't know, I'm not sure how to engage in that space, but but just try it with as much like, as best, like, I don't know, respect and um, craft as possible because it's very rare that I'm going to be able to play anything that I actually am, you know? Yeah, totally. And that's why I'm, that's why I'm writing too is because there's just nothing out there. I'm writing a mixed race story at the moment, which is about this um, Chinese Pakeha woman who is um, body swaps with a gay white man. (laughs) Sorry, that sounds amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's a comedy. You can laugh. Um, so that's that's being shot in like a month, and I'm co-writing it with my friend Cole, who is a gay white man. So we're basically like trying to get in each other's heads and make this hopefully funny story about how these two characters are figuring each other's identities out because they're both super unwoke, but they think that they're really they think that they're super woke. Um, so the comedy ensues, hopefully. But yeah, I've never seen a character like that. Um, and I'm super excited to hopefully shed some light on mixed race stuff because, yeah, I think New Zealand is super, and the the industry is really keen to box me into Asian because my name is Chai Ling Huang. It's a heavily Asian name. Um, and I, I definitely, like, lean into it because that's where I'm getting my funding and that's where I'm getting my opportunities. But it is important to bring nuance to the conversation, as you know. You mentioned growing up with with some Asian folks. When do, when did you remember meeting like the first like either mixed folk kind of people, or whether it be any or the kind that you might have that you are as well? And what was that like? Um, I think it's still fairly rare, but um, there's this really amazing theater maker in Auckland called Alice Canton, and she is mixed race Pakeha Chinese as well, and it was just like. It was a revelation. It was like, okay, cool. Are we like, can we just be friends? Can we be best friends forever? It's just something super comforting about meeting someone that shares your exact experience or or close to. Um, and there's only really a handful of us. And even when I met you, I was like, I'm always so excited when I meet mixed race people who are of my mixed race because I think there's just something. It's kind of like an invisible wall that sort of disappears between you when you go like, yep. We have the same lived experience. You know, it's, it's comforting. It's great. There's so much more to come, but I'm taking this moment to say, if you're enjoying the conversation, feel free to rate, review, subscribe, get the word out there. It'll really support us in getting a bigger audience to um, have more of these conversations. I really think they're important and will support people. I wish I had them when I was growing up. Anyway, back to the conversation. Early in our conversation, you mentioned having white privilege. How does that white privilege show up for you? Yeah, I think this is a double-edged sword because it's, I think it is the acceptance of people in power that are helping my career move forward. So I see it a lot with, you know, people that I meet that are like funding bodies or um, theater or filmmakers who, you know, are in higher positions of power. Like I see myself getting opportunities 
but I don't see other people getting opportunities that might be, you know, like full Asian or like brown Asians, for example. And I always wonder if that is to do with my white privilege. And I definitely know that I have the kind of privilege that a white education allows me to have that confidence to apply for funding um, and to write a good funding proposal and to articulate myself in a way that is comfortable for white people. I don't have an accent. Um, English was my first language. I had a fairly good education. I went to public schools, but, you know, got, got a good education in, in, white, in white spaces. So I know how to speak the white funding language, which I feel like has granted me a lot of access that I know a lot of people don't have. And especially like when I'm taking meetings and stuff like that, it's always kind of in the back of my mind, like, would you feel the same way about me if I was a brown Asian with an accent? Probably not. So that's kind of where I see it show up. And also, yeah, I guess not so much with acting. Like people, I don't know if people say this to you, but people always say this to me. They're like, oh, you're in such a great position because you have the best of both worlds for your acting stuff. And I'm like, no, no one knows where to put me. I am like in the worst position because I'm too Asian for the white roles. I'm not Asian enough for the Asian roles. Um, And nobody, like, I don't see my privilege showing up there. (laughs) I see it showing up and like conversing with white people and mm. getting money. <laughs> well, pros and cons. No, I hear you yeah, on that yeah, one. I, totally. I, in terms of the, I am, I'm constantly, you know, not Asian enough or not white enough or, but there's, but you know, I don't think that's anything unique to me necessarily. Those are, mm. uh, those things are, I think unique to me as people, but you know, other people are, well, the other things that I'm not enough is just like I'm not tall enough or I'm too tall or I'm not pretty enough or I'm too pretty. That's never happened. Um, or I'm like, you know, not buff enough, which has happened more than I'm ever too buff, of course. You know, like all those things, you know, there's a bazillion reasons why I might not be right for something, right? you know. So it just it just it just like adds to another thing, though, that I feel like we're, we might never be right for. It, like it's another component that it's hard makes us harder to place. Right. Yeah. Um, and is that why that. you started writing as well? You know, I started writing, I didn't even start writing for myself. Um, I just happened to be that sometimes I'm in a thing um, of mine. But I started writing before I started, well, did I? I mean, I wrote little plays and stuff and and like skits when I was a kid for kids around the neighborhood. Um, Like I literally was like, we would would reenact scenes from television shows or old movies. Um, We would put our own on and have our parents sit in the basement and like have all these like, uh, lighting setups that we do and have curtains and these, this, we had whole, you know, productions as kids. It was silly. Um, so it kind of went hand in hand writing and and acting and I've been doing it ever since. Um, but I don't know. It's interesting. I have a question. What do you, what would you want to see in terms of, cause I know that representation for mixed race people is like kind of, I mean, I don't know what it's like in the States, but I haven't really seen anything about it here that really relates to me. Um, what would you want to see from something that is representing a mixed race person? Like, are you of the school of thought of like, you know, colorblind casting, don't talk about race, just cast us as people. Or do you want to see that kind of nuanced journey that has conversations about being mixed race? Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, I, I, there's two ways that I, I see it going that are both potentially powerful. There's one, which is, just cast the person, mostly like if we're talking about mixed race people, cast a mixed race person, then have it not come up. 
right? That's an interesting choice and not have that be the forefront of their identity. They could just be a person who happens to be mixed race, right? Um, I think that is a powerful tool. Um, on the other side, of course, it can be powerful to, to dive into it. So I think it really just depends on the character and the story um, and and the intention too. Um, so it can, to me, it seems like it can be both as long as either one is done with, you know, um, complexity and nuance and dignity and respect. I don't have a problem with either. Um, do you have a particular thought on that? Um, I think in terms of like, I think I've seen mixed race actors playing just whatever characters, especially in sci-fis and like superhero stuff. I feel like sci-fi is really good at that, like sort of dystopian, utopian futures where, you know, everyone's mixed and it's like, well, you know what, that's happening now. Why do we have to be like a hundred years in the future for that to be viable? But, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm curious about the nuance of it and the actual storytelling of what it means to be mixed race, because I don't think that's something I've really seen a lot of. But anyway, that's just my personal taste and where I'm at. Maybe ask me again in like five years and I'll be like, I'm over it. No, no, I think you're right, though. I think, I mean, I've recently seen lots of different mixed folks in the space, um, but it's rarely highlighted. And sometimes, uh, oftentimes they're either so ambiguous that it's not like, Hmm. Like I have a couple of friends who are mixed, but they're mixed in like three or four different ways mm-hmm. where they just look very, um, it, it's not quite as pronounced, shall we say their, their, their look isn't as pronounced as someone who might be like biracial for say, you know, yeah. um, for instance. Um, so I am seeing lots of different mixed folks getting great roles, but oftentimes they either look one thing that is in a category that we can classify, like mm. he's Asian and black, but he looks black. And so he can fit yeah, into the, yeah, our black roles. Role. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or yeah. he's, 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 you know, a quarter or half Asian, but he just looks really, he looks like white with like flakes of Asian, right? Yeah, I don't know how yeah, to say totally. that, or, you know, that's horrible. Yeah. Um, he just looks like, he just looks like white, but with amazing bone structure. Right, right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting. Um, have you ever, have you ever passed for full in any, any space that you've been in? Yeah. I pass as white a lot. Like loads of, like, do you know where it is in my daily life? Like every fucking day, anytime I take an Uber, like the Uber driver will comment and be like, oh, you look so white. I wasn't expecting you to be so white because my name's Chai Ling Huang. It's like a super Asian name. And they'll be like, oh, you don't look Asian at all. Are you really Asian? And then it'll just be like, I have to prove my ethnicity to my Uber driver pretty much every time I go anywhere. That's funny. Yeah, it's a, it's a really common occurrence. Hmm. I, yeah, because I have a pretty darn white name, so mm-hmm. it's interesting that... That's uh, interesting. Hmm. Yeah, and I feel like that's kind of like the one thing that really betrays me a lot on the daily is that my name is like hella Asian, which I kind of like because it sort of like fucks with people's idea of, you know, their perceptions of what a Chinese person is immediately. And it does take explanation, but I feel like it's probably good for people to be thinking about the world like that now because that's the way it's going. That's the way it is. Sure. Hmm. Definitely. Do you feel like, have you, have you passed for Asian, like full Asian ever? Nah, never. 
Is that something that you? I don't know. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's so funny. Because I've I've passed for full Asian with like white folks who don't know the difference. Yeah. Sometimes. Oh my god. Yes. Where they're just like, well, he's Asian. Um, yeah. That's, yeah. That's my white voice. That's horrible. It's not. Um, I love it. I love it. Um, I, I've only once passed. I was in a conversation and someone's like, "You just look like my cousin," and he was like white, and he thought I was just white, and it's only happened once, and I was I was astounded. I was like, yeah. "What? Yeah." It's so. Um, it's interesting. So you have, you said you had mentioned that you have siblings. Um, yeah. Do they, do they present any particular way in terms of their, their racial identity? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I feel like, cause I have three sisters. Um, I feel like we all look really similar. Um, and I think, I think it's pretty obvious that we're all biracial, but I think that my eldest sister probably looks more Chinese than the rest of us, which I find really interesting. And they all have, like, the kind of classic, which is, like, they got this from my mum, who's white. So they kind of have that classic, like, pale, really, really pale skin, like, big brown eyes, like, long black hair kind of vibe. Whereas for me, I inherited the brownness of my Asian dad, which to me confused the shit out of me when I was growing up because I, I equated pale skin with, like, you know, the oriental kind of, you know, cherry blossom, China doll kind of porcelain skin look. And so when I was really brown, and I, I go really, really brown in the summer, because my dad is brown. He's like a brown Asian dude. Um, I was just really confused. And I thought that was from my white side. And I was like, oh, okay, I must be more white than I am Asian because I'm super brown and these guys are super pale. So that means they're more Asian than I am. Which was really sad when you think about it because the homogeneity of Asian identity is that yeah, Asians are pale and, you know, China doll, beautiful, mystical creatures. Whereas there's like, uh, there's so many brown Asians that are just never seen. And so I never equated my brownness with being Asian. Hmm. That's interesting. One thing that I've been talking to with a lot of biracial folks is um, which side is which, like whether it's a mother or father or whatever it may yeah, be. Yeah, yeah. Um, because I, I know a lot of my friends have white dads and then because it's just like, a th- you know, white dudes and Asian women is a thing, you know, mm-hmm. and it's interesting. Um, I'm, my, my dad's uh, Asian, Asian-ish, Asian, he's Asian. Um, do you feel like, do you know lots of folks who have also have white moms and Asian dads? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, apart from you, I was like, what? Yeah, no, it's really rare. I feel like um, because the white man, Asian woman combination is is almost like a self-perpetuating prophecy. Or like, you know, you see it more, it's more acceptable, more people do it, etc. And I'm sure there's like loads of history around that dynamic, especially the emasculation of Asian men, which, you know, um, is a culturally and socially perpetrated trope which I'm sure doesn't make it easy for Asian guys to date anyone, full stop. Um, and then, of course, on the other side, Asian women are really easy and promiscuous and blah, blah, blah. Um, now, nah, I find that it's quite... I find it pretty rare to meet somebody who's a biracial child of an Asian dad and a white mom. I know, like, one other family, and I see them on Instagram all the time. It, like, warms my heart. <laughs> it's so funny because the last three, um, three of the last people that I've met have all had 
have all had Asian dads, and everyone's like, "What? We're kind of like we found each oh other." Because because it's so Make funny because I was at Facebook. Add me to it. Yeah, right. Because we <laughs> we had um we we met each other at, at a conference, and there were other mixed race folks that I, I was talking to, and most of them had Asian moms, mm. um, and so it was interesting to to I, I don't know I'm I'm interested in how that does or does not change things for different people mm-hmm. and how uh, gender and, and sex and patriarchy and mm-hmm. culture are combined in a, mm-hmm. and, and a confluence in terms of how that does affect kids. Obviously, I don't yeah. know. I don't I haven't done like a study on it. Yeah. But is there something that you find like talking to these people? Have you found any kind of correlation between like the attitudes to like sex and dating and race with the children of people who are from an Asian dad, white mom? situation versus the opposite i'm trying to figure this out now so i don't have like enough data on it but one thing i i am intrigued about is like my i think of asianness as being um in some ways like when i think about being asian i think about being like trying to like discover asian masculinity it's and asian culture It, it they're tied it's not like yeah it's not like uh, that's my mom's thing. So it's like a, I don't know. I, mm. I'm not sure how just to say that. Um, I'm I'm struggling with the language right now. But um, I so for instance, I know some several mixed folks who have white dads, and there is this thing of a, it Asianness being um, whether it be feminine or you know the like you mentioned the the emasculation of Asian men it being like a, a, a beta move to try to identify with the mom side uh, which right. is weird yeah, things with yeah, patriarchy yeah. too so that, mm-hmm. that's like a whole other thing but I'm mm-hmm. uh, I don't know like I wonder if since I didn't grow up that way I can't speak into it that are sure Asian men and you're like not having that immediacy of like the father figure your male role model being someone who looks like you sure yeah yeah I don't know I'm also interested in, in people who, so you mentioned growing up in mostly white spaces, mm. um, as, as I did as well. I'm interested in people who are mixed race and grew up in, you know, whatever other than white or whatever, you know, if, if, mm. it's, if it's Asian, you know, grew up in mostly Asian spaces, mm. whether they identify as more white or not, mm. you know, because mm-hmm. it seems like, I don't know. Yeah, I feel like there's a reclamation that comes from, like, when you come of age or when you start being comfortable with who you are and realizing that the world is the world is broken and it's not you um that I feel like if you've come from like a white background it because whiteness is um the root of all evil no (laughs) whiteness I mean whiteness is you know the overarching cultural um it's cultural and social um framework to which we have and I feel like um it is the oppressor and when you realize that you are the oppressed you there's an instinct to fight back and there's an instinct to reclaim and to regrow that part of your identity that comes on really strong for a lot of mixed race people that I've spoken to it was definitely that way for myself speaking from my own experience so I I wonder if it's different with people who have grown up in a different culture because I think that white culture is oppressive and it is a comfort to find um to find community and to find um, solidarity in your otherness and be empowered by it. Once you realize that you're not part of the oppressor culture, I think it feels much nicer and much more um, empowering to identify then with your Chineseness or otherness. Sure. Do you feel like, so I've been thinking about this a lot and, and I've been trying to, cause I, that narrative definitely exists and I, and I get that. 
and I'm, and it makes sense to me. I'm wondering, like, if so, friends. I listened to this interview with what's his name, the guy from High School Musical. He's like the blackish guy, Corden Blue or Corden Blue. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah. he's he's biracial. His mom, I think, is like Italian or something like that, or part Italian. I this was I read this like eight years ago. I don't really yeah. remember, but I remember him talking about him wanting to recognize other people to recognize his whiteness essentially, mm-hmm. or Europeanness, and not just mm-hmm. the blackness. And obviously there's a history of, in America, you know, just a little bit of black, you're like black, you know, there's, there's no, you know, it's so hard to be anything but black if you're a little bit black in the U.S. There's a, there's a history of that for sure. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I've been thinking about that specifically, like you mentioned, kind of a white hegemonic uh, framework that we, that both of us exist in. Mm-hmm. Um, how, I, have you met people who do identify as more the white side and like you mentioned it feels nicer to go to the um asian side or what we might think of as oppressed do you feel like that i feel like okay to me i've been thinking about it a lot um do you feel like that it feels nice but do you feel like it just can like convenient for us like yeah definitely and I, i've definitely been like called out on, not called out on this but i've had a lot of conversations with partners about this like white partners where it's like and this is kind of like I don't know if you got all the way to the end of my play, but there's the scene between um, the biracial woman and the white partner who she's trying to break up with. And, like, one of his arguments is, like, is it just more convenient to lay claim to your Chineseness because it lets you off the hook for all your white privilege and basically, you know, um, makes your life entirely easier? Um and I think there's like a lot of truth to that argument and that's kind of why I put it in there. Cause like, I don't really know the answer to that. And it, and it does feel like, yeah, the easier way out to ignore your whiteness and to lay claim to the other. I don't know if that's problematic or not. Like, I feel like it's, I feel like any voice who is like fighting for a marginalized community is like useful in the world. So I feel like what I'm doing is good but at the same time, like, I am aware that if I was to choose to identify more white, I would feel more guilty and, like, shitty about my own self, probably. Well, here's the <laughs> thing. Well, so I, I get that. I get that. Here's the thing that I'm trying to figure out. So since we both grew up in, in kind of wider spaces, mm-hmm. um, I, I, in some ways, can't get away from whiteness, even, mm-hmm. even if in my whiteness, even if mm-hmm. I was fully, like, ethnic, like, racially one thing. <laughs> Like even if you were fully like if Asian, you were ethnically right. Asian, I, and I feel you like had no white in you ethnically. But yeah, you were I feel, raised in a white space. Yes, I feel like there'd be so much like white culture that I grew up in mm. that uh, I'm I'm linked to it so hard. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, but also yeah. being mixed race too, it's like another layer of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm wondering, I feel like I am, or we may be. This is going to sound ridiculous potentially. Um, Okay, great. But, I love it. But yeah, so I'm just like throwing it out there. People, it might be confusing at first, but I feel like there is a, a, a well-deserved narrative of white folks as oppressors because there's a lot of data on that. There's a lot of history towards that. I'm not negating that, right? Because mm-hmm. um, it's a thing. I'm, uh, I acknowledge it 100%. Mm-hmm. Um, since we exist in that space where, where things are, um, at least we as a collective group maybe at least in the u.s but it seems to be in new zealand too from what you're talking about you know making attempts to try to make it more of a diverse space what uh, politically empowering different kind of voices um that the narrative of just being oppressors doesn't it seems limiting to me 
you know, acknowledging history, yes. Uh, this is mm-hmm. specifically for, for white folks. Um, acknowledging history, yes, but also, like, what now besides... Because we don't want them to be white saviors either, and we don't yeah, want them... Yeah. You know what I mean? So, And so it's not like, oh, help us, but it's also, I, I don't feel like uh, just get out of our way is the is always the right answer either. Yeah. It's a standing up together kind of thing. At least uh-huh. that's how I feel like... And maybe that's a false narrative. Maybe that's a narrative that white folks have told me that it is when it's not, but I feel like in an ideal system that could, is what it could be. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm interested in, do you feel like there's a, a narrative that we could provide simply being mixed race and white yeah. uh, to providing white folks with a new narrative besides just being oppressors? I don't know how, what that yeah, looks that's really like. Interesting. It's kind of like, you're kind of asking like, what is our identity? How does our identity as mixed race people that have white heritage what is what is our how do we how do we how are we linked to allyship in white spaces yeah yeah like and how how could we how is our perspective as mixed race people influential to the fight for equality especially because we have so much influence in white spaces yeah, and uh, that's one thing I've been thinking about, and I don't know the answer. I'm just that, that's one reason why I'm doing this is just like asking other kind of folks what they think. Because yeah. if if I were full white, for instance, because I thought if I was full Asian a lot, and I thought if I was full white, just like hypothetical, you know, I feel like, um, well, here's another thing. I'm going to come back to it. Um, I am part Japanese and part Chinese. My grandfather didn't, f- uh, you know, f- was on the U.S. side though he was, you know, Japanese. Um, so I don't have the in my family the link of Japanese people, Japanese soldiers during World War II doing a lot of the atrocities that we know they did. You know, so I don't in that way I don't think of myself as you know oppressive Japanese, oppressive mm-hmm. Japanese person. That's not in my blood in the same mm-hmm. way. You know, um, but. In other ways, I have white folks uh, who have, like, in my lineage, who have done some weird stuff, right? And so that is in that is part of my history. So in mm-hmm. in my blood is both oppressor and oppressed, right? Yeah. And yeah. it's not one or the other necessarily. And how do we define who is oppressor and who is oppressed at, at yeah, any given time, totally. right? Yeah. Um, and if so when I, yeah. go ahead, no, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say similar to me because my family is Chinese, and you know, there is a lot of shit that. Chinese people have done to the world and to themselves and to their people that is super unsavory and really um, awful. <laughs> so like there's, there's like as much bloodshed on that side of things in a global context, like maybe not in a diaspora context, but in a global context, yes, there's like a lot to be reckoned with in terms of, you know, if we're talking about like who is the oppressor and who is the oppressed, like Chinese history has a lot of shit to account for. Yeah, and it seems to me hard to identify in any like obviously it, in some ways it, the with a particular kind of metric or or scale we one can be identified right who is the oppressor and who is oppressed mm-hmm. on a particular time scale and particular event or situation mm-hmm. or location or region yeah. um, that makes total sense but in the grand scheme of things like it's it's yeah. it's harder especially in how do we deal with that now too mm-hmm. and so one thing I'm thinking about is how to or if or how or what it could look like to create a a narrative for white folks going forward to being part white and seeing both sides you know um because it seems to me like it like you mentioned in your play potentially convenient just to go with the um the asian side or the other side and and just you know accept that identity and run with that identity um what seems to me like difficult like 
I don't know if he even could. I'm not even saying you, just like me or our other folks. I, yeah, the you global know, youth. The yeah. Grob, yeah, like all the grob, global mixed people who happen to be mixed with something that is white. Mm-hmm. Accept that white identity and say, okay, but how do I use that whiteness to speak to whiteness, you know? Yeah, right. It's kind of like using your own white privilege as a mixed race person to, yeah, like you said, speak to whiteness or provide a new narrative for white people. I kind of like had this idea maybe like a few years ago of how being biracial is being biracial when you are mixed with a white person or <laughs> a white a white history a white whatever sure um, is like a like this is the cheesiest thing of all time but I used to think of it like in my younger days as like being a bridge between two worlds or being a bridge between two cultures and having like that in itself, like not just thinking about my white privilege, but that in itself being a privilege to have inbuilt in me the capacity to have more than one side of the story um, be available to me, but also like to have that inbuilt um, instinct to want to see more than one side of the story because that's kind of how we grow up, right, is trying to like reconcile all these different stories that live within us. Um, and so now that's how we kind of see the world as we can never see the world as black and white because that's not who we are because we, we live in this gray area. So I think like maybe that's kind of what you're speaking to in terms of like, how do we use our whiteness to then to bring a mixed race perspective, I guess, to white people. Sure. And, and I don't believe like I'm the person or like, I don't have any like grand illusions about me being the person who can communicate like that. No. Um, but yeah. I think, I think there is a perspective. I think what I'm trying to uh, think about, and I even argue for just process and, and, and question mm. whether that perspective does have something to, con- to speak to whiteness. So for instance, like, cause I, I think if, if I grew up like a white dude, a straight white dude, um, cause I know plenty and I'm partially, you know, a white dude, whatever that means. Um, <laughs> like, I, I, though I'm not, and, the, and many of the white, fully white privileges are not available to me. Um, but if I were, um, like, we clearly can see, even with, like, white fragility and all that, like, there be, there is, like, a pushback and a reaction. Then we're seeing, you know, a rise of neo-Nazism and incels and mm-hmm. lots of stuff of, like, white people needing to band together to, to you know, mm-hmm. not just protect the race, but, like, and, it, and part of me, like, m- part of that makes sense to me if you grow up with a completely white lens and you're not attuned and not like actually educated to a historical perspective of of Uh whiteness and white history and what it's done it seems super scary to me that just framing it as whiteness as always as oppressive or always as the oppressor Um, especially and and i get and i'm not like again i'm really not trying to negate a lot of history or anything like that i'm going okay but but what do we do now and how do we actually yeah i totally i have all these conversations with my white partner because it's like he's always trying to be an ally in the situation and obviously like he lives with me and he knows me and we have a lot of conversations about race and he knows the work that i do and why i do it because it's necessary and because there's you know there's nothing else like it that's you know, it's it's a sad fact that what I do for a living is necessary. But yeah, it's like a lot of the times he really wants to be an ally and he really wants to be a person who is helpful in those situations, but he just really doesn't know how because a lot of the time the narratives are really exclusive to people who want to be allies. Um, and there's a particular brand of... Um, there's a particular brand of um, 
of um, what am I trying to say? The the like pushback against white people or the there's a particular brand of empowerment for people of color that specifically um, brings down white people um, in a way that's really aggressive and um, in a way that's really mimicking the way that white people have been aggressive towards people of color. And I don't think that's helpful. Like, this is my personal opinion, and I know a lot of people have different tastes. And I know there's, like, you know, time and place for, you know, fuck you white people. But having been around white allies who genuinely want to help, that kind of narrative is super alienating. And I think that's kind of what you're getting at, is that, well, yes, we have to acknowledge all all of our white privilege and what, you know, has been the historical role of white people in this world. But at the same time you can't help people who aren't letting you in to help. And and I'm not trying to like cater to white people necessarily. That's not my goal. Exactly. Either. But that's always going to be the thing that people jump to. And it's like, well, the conversation's actually more nuanced than that. And I think as like mixed race people that do have white in us, like we can see that, like a lot of the works that I make, I'm like, well, would, would I bring my mom to this? Like, would my mom be proud of seeing something like this? My mom is like the most, allied white person you can get she married an asian dude and had four asian kids you know like <laughs> she's someone in the world that is still worth speaking to and is still worth having on your side so yeah i find it i find it really conflicting actually like especially with a lot of my asian friends who are really like militant with their views um because i feel like they don't have that that personal connection with whiteness or white people that that brings any kind of nuance on their end. Yeah. I've thought about this so much as well. <laughs> like, um, it's my role to use my white privilege to speak to white people. And I think, like, yes, I'm fully connected with my Asian side. And, like, me now, like, I've, I've done my best to foster a community of Asian people and, like, connect myself with a community of Asian people in theatre, especially, and film. And that is, like, really strong in Auckland at the moment. Like, the group of people we have is incredible super talented really open but I also think on the opposite side it is my duty as a mixed race person or I kind of see it as my duty like my self-imposed duty to remain open to white people and not to you know not 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 just because I can and because it's easier to shun white people from the conversation and even though it's hard and taxing to have those conversations I'm like well I'm kind of like the person with the right amount of privilege to be less hurt by these conversations than potentially other people. So I feel like it's kind of something that I can do to kind of like take one for the team. Do you know what I mean? Because I have that white privilege to have those conversations and not be potentially as fucked up as other people who would. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I don't, I, I, yeah, I don't know exactly how to, move forward but i'm thinking about it and if you have any ideas let me know uh, one thing that one thing that you mentioned um is you know having a, a white partner who's who's open and available and trying to to figure things out um and we mentioned the white male asian female and I'm, I'm just interested because i've i've dated uh, you know various uh ethnicities um do you feel like that's something that did you? How do you approach different relationships? Being a, a mixed race person or a mixed race uh, woman or Asian, how do you process that? Is do you have? Are you open to whatever? How does that? How does that work for you? Well, I kind of went through like a, I don't know, like a kind of a realization. Like after my last relationship, I was like, 
Ugh, maybe like we would just always argue about race and I was like maybe this is the problem maybe I just need to like take that weight off my shoulder and go and like find someone who's of my race or whatever but then I guess thinking about it I'm like that is it's so reductive because even I started going on dates and you know I met some great people but the 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 fun the best like moment for me was when uh the best and worst so I went on a date with this girl and her ethnicity was, she was like mixed race, um, Pacifica or Polynesian of some kind, and Chinese. So she was like, you know, brown and Chinese, and she was born and raised in New Zealand, and, you know, was was um, identified as a Kiwi in terms of nationality. So we were just like chatting on this date, and she was like, oh, I got, got to admit something to you, like I've never dated an Asian person before, and I was like, okay, all right, I don't know if that's something that you should be, like, you know, proud of or telling me on the date, <laughs> but okay, like, I'm an interested person, and I was writing my play at the time, so I was like, all right, tell me about that, and she was just like, yeah, I've just never really been attracted to Asian people, and blah, blah, and I was like, well, okay, well, you're still here, so obviously you are attracted to an Asian person, like, congrats, and we kind of just had a laugh about it, and she was just like, yeah, you know, like, she's like, you're right, you are pretty hot for an Asian. And I was like, Ooh. excuse me? Excuse me? And it was just this, like, she almost caught herself before she said it, but not quite. And we That's just even like... worse. Oh my god, it was so fucking awkward. So we just both sat there, and I was like, did you just hear what just came out of your mouth? Like, what the fuck? And she was like, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean it like that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I didn't... And I was like, I know exactly what you mean. Like, you have a lot of socialized bullshit against Asian people, which is obviously loads of internalized racism that you have towards yourself because you are Asian, and that is the most fucked up thing, that she, like, her her ethnicity is Asian. So, so that kind of proved to me that, you know, no matter who you date and no matter, you know, what ethnicity they are, you can't, like, someone's ethnicity is not a accurate mark of how woke they're gonna be. <laughs> so, you know, I've dated white guys who are ten times more work than that girl, and that's disappointing. But, um, I guess I kind of just try and see it as more of, like, a colorblind thing. I guess, like, the moral of the story is that someone's ethnicity is not going to be an accurate marker of how woke they are. <laughs> um, although I wish it was, um, I've definitely dated white guys and girls who are like 10,000 times more woke than Asian people who are diaspora or who who even, you know, like are not like national New Zealanders. Like Asians can be racist and I think that is a sad fact that I that I learned <laughs> of my dating adventures. So yeah, I guess I would say like I probably more would gravitate towards people who are Asian or who aren't white in terms of who I would choose to go out on dates with, but you can't help what feelings arise. And I'm dating a white person now, and I'll probably keep dating that white person forever. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, congratulations. Yeah, I, I'm in a, thank you. I'm in an open relationship, so I'm still like kind of figuring it out and like having those conversations with people about race that I that I date. Don't go away. It's still getting more juicy and more real as we go. 
But if you want to get in touch with us, email us at the 100% at gmail.com. The percent is spelled out. We'd love to hear your questions, uh, comments, or even who you think might be fun guests or topics even. We're just getting started. Here we go. Back to the conversation. Mm, okay, so this has opened up a whole can of worms that was immediately like opened as soon as we met. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. wasn't really about race or anything. It was basically like sex and relationships go. Yeah. And it was just it's because we're like, like we're like biracial, bisexual people. It's like kind of a great combination that you never meet. What were you interested in first? Like when you were a kid or like, you know, puberty, what was the first thing that you're kinds of things were you attracted to? Um, my first ever crush of all time was this, <laughs> I was going to say his name, but I'm like, this might air. And this might air. Chad's going to hear it. No, oh don't God, hear Chad. Not... No, no. Um, it was, uh, he was this beautiful Korean boy and Korean Kiwi guy. And I just had the most fattest crush on this kid. Um, yeah. So that was my first ever crush. So I guess like, yeah, for me, it wasn't like the socialized, racialized vibe because I was mostly friends with I was friends with a few Korean kids actually but mostly white kids um but then yeah growing up I think um I was definitely attracted to all kinds of races growing up and like still am but I think like yeah you definitely see it like socialized that people like white like tall white men with glasses are kind of like what I gravitated towards for like a long time before I started really thinking about what, what I was doing. But, like, it's interesting that, like, my natural instincts when I was a kid was, like, I was attracted to all different kinds of people. And so, similar with, like, you know, there's probably, like, a different whole different conversation, but, like, especially women and non-men, you know, similarly with that kind of, that kind of jam. When did that like, happen for you, if you don't mind me asking? I think I, like, I was always attracted to women... But it's that classic narrative of, like, oh, yep, like, I'm just obsessed with this person because I want to be them. I want to be like them. And, like, oh, it's normal for me to, like, you know, have these thoughts or whatever. But actually, like, the first time that I really was like, mm, okay, this might be a thing, was, um, <laughs> so my dad used to work at a gas station. And he would bring us the old magazines with the covers ripped off. So, like in the gas station they would rip off the covers of the magazine so that they couldn't be sold again if they were they were old and they were throwing them out but my dad knew that I really liked to read like Cosmo and you know Marie Claire or whatever the girly magazines were so he would always bring me home a stack like every month but because the covers were ripped off he accidentally added in like a Ralph do you guys get those over there uh Ralph yeah I don't, I don't think, what, what, okay, tell me it more. Okay, might be Australian, but, like, it's kind of like softcore porn. Oh. So, like, it's kind of like a men's mag, but it's basically, like, you know, I don't think there's any nudity, but it's all, like, bikini shots and, you know, like, features and interviews, but with, like, sexy women, you know? Okay, great, great. So, like, softcore so porn. Yeah, it was part of the pile, and then I was, like... Was he I there? Was Did like, he see you see? No, 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 he never saw okay. it. It was just, like, amongst it. He just gave me the pile, and I just took to my oh. room, and, you know. That's and then great. I discovered it, and I was like, okay, this is doing something for me. And, like, I kept that magazine for the next, like, two years. And it was yes. just, like, my full-on, like, fat material from, like, That's being on. <laughs> Wait, okay. How, how old are you? I was, like, 12 or 13. Like, I must have been, like, 13. That's great. Like, your That's... classic coming-of-age, like, hitting puberty. Mm. 
And I was like, That's so good. but even then I was so in denial. I was like, I was like, yeah, but I'm like just imagining myself as a person, like getting, you know what I mean? Like I was like, <laughs> I still wasn't like, okay, you might be a little bit gay, you know? <laughs> sure. Do you yeah. feel like, uh, we talked about this very briefly, but do you feel like, so you're 12 or 13 when you said that happened. And when was the, um, the Kiwi uh, Korean guy you said? Um, when I was like 11 or 12. Okay, so roughly, I mean, around the same period, roughly. Yeah. That's interesting, because I wasn't, I, I didn't have, well, I was attracted to girls at first, and, and prom, predominantly, and it just kind of grew, attraction to guys just grew, and it's still growing, but it's still like, it, it wasn't like, boom, you know? Yeah, yeah. And it came much later. Um, yeah. And I wasn't. Sh- I'm not sure if that's just because of socialization or mm. whether it's. I, I have no Biology. idea. Just that's yeah. I, that's just the way that it happened. But yeah, I think I was always like a really sexual, like a sexually. I was gonna say sexually active child, but that sounds wrong. I mean, like, um, like genetic. It was probably genetic because, like, I was like, like playing around when I with myself when I was like sure. eight years old. Like, the, oh, like cool. the first orgasm I ever had was when I was like eight. Hmm. I don't even know what that was. So I, was, oh, I think it's probably a genetic thing because I don't ever remember. Like, we didn't get sex ed- education until I was, like, 15. You want to know something? Well, yes. <laughs> I never ha- I never had the talk. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, I was homeschooled. Oh, you were homeschooled? Okay, that's a different That's a different thing. And so there was no sex education in school. That's a whole different thing. So I never had the talk. So I how was did like, you find out about, like, what sex was? Uh, I don't even... I, well, we talked about sex. It was in the context of, like, the Bible. Like, don't have it. But I'm like, what oh is God. it? But don't have it. But well, what, what is, is it? it? But don't have it. <laughs> you know? So it was just like, uh, okay. I was going to say, culturally being, like mixed race or being Asian and like dealing with sexuality I feel like there's just loads of shit that is on you that's also just super extra like I I probably didn't like I I don't know if my attraction to Asian women is like the same as it is with Asian men because in some ways I feel this really um I feel like I'm still kind of dealing with this gross thing that porn kind of did to me which was like you know, Asian women fetish sites and Asian women being, like, always the focus of, like, these, you know, really submissive narratives, which is, like, fine, like, if that's what you're into, like, and I sometimes am, but, like, having that fetishization of Asian women kind of just made me, like, real grossed out by the whole concept of Asian women, maybe? Because I kind of see myself in that role and I see myself as being, like, used as this tool for cultural fucking like a, a cultural fetishization i feel like that's kind of like put a bit of a wall between myself and asian women in terms of like the dating arena would you would you have the same considerations to other mixed asian women i'm not sure probably not cuz i'd probably see them as like like i don't really think i see mixed asian women in porn ever hmm i i Hmm. Now I'm like cycling through my porn catalog. Yeah. Like my mental yeah, porn. Totally. Have, have I seen one? Have I seen? No. So you said you weren't really particularly interested in any particular racial thing and then until white guys with glasses became a thing. Um, yeah. When, when did white guys with glasses become a thing? I don't know. I think like around uni, maybe. Oh, okay. Yeah. So kind of yeah. later on. 
Yeah, I feel like I f- it's interesting because when I think about like my first ever crush, like it was an Asian guy, and then I was like, when did? And then it took me like so many years to then date another Asian guy. That it was like, what happened in between like the time of innocence and like not knowing, like right and wrong and like socialized hierarchies of races to to then like, you know, what fucked me up in between was obviously like a socialization, which yeah. sucks. I mean, not that white, sexy guys with glasses can't be sexy. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, know, equal opportunity is probably more interesting for everyone involved. But what about you? Do you think that you, were you more attracted, like as a mixed race person, did you find any kind of um, bias towards like Asian men, Asian women, white women, white men? Well, so it's interesting because I, I, like your friend who is like Indian and Asian, or I forget what you, what your friend growing up with. I didn't realize I was like Asian till I was a lot older. Like I didn't like I knew it, but I didn't think about it. Like I, mm. in some ways, I probably knew it because I I could identify when like a kid like that I met was black, and I'm like, oh, you're black. So I get I got that race was a thing, but I never like processed it for myself. If that makes any sense. Yeah. yeah Until yeah. I was, I was in middle school and, uh, I was playing dodgeball and, uh, as they were called now, a Latino kid called me a chink and I was like, huh, I don't know what that is. And so I had to look it up and, oh my and God. it's so funny. Cause we didn't talk about race really that much at all. So I was like, oh, I guess, I guess I'm not, I, I never thought of myself. I didn't think, even think of myself as white or mixed race or as Asian yeah. or any, as anything. And so yeah. it was like in middle school, I started going, huh. And then I kind of, then it became, oh, I guess I'm Asian. And like, I made a bunch of Asian jokes about me being Asian to try oh to fit God. in. Oh my God. That's such are a we, phase, like the self-deprecation phase. Oh, sure. It's, uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it was, I had no. a, I had a long self-deprecation phase and it was not great. Um, but I mostly oh grew up with, with white people. So I, I was attracted to white people growing up, probably because of socialization and media, but also because that's just what was around. And, like, there wasn't very many Asian girls in my... There wasn't really lots of a, any any kind of folk besides white people growing up. Um, mm. And so I, was, I really dated Asian or, or white girls in up through college um, and was mostly interested in white girls. Like, for me, like... It, I, I I had so many racist thoughts towards Asian folks growing up because I just grew up in white spaces, even being mixed. Like, yeah, um, like because if you don't like, think yourself as one of the, those people, then you know it's easier to just like pick a side. Sure, and it's not like I was like even identifying as white and like I'm white and like they're Asian. I don't know, yeah, that's my, that's yeah, my yeah. whatever voice. It's but, a threat um, like to you somehow or your identity. Right. It wasn't. It wasn't quite that. It was also just like, oh, that I'm. I'm just not whatever that is. Right. Mm, it was mm-hmm. also a, a like a deficiency problem. Like I was never Asian enough to be Asian, so I could never be one of them either. You yeah, know? true. And so, so, you so there's feel like fuck you then. Like I'll just be yeah. white. <laughs> there's like a couple. There's a couple different things going on, right? I, um, yeah. And and never really f- mostly self-imposed. I'd say mostly. There's a few instances where I felt like I was culturally like. I felt pressured to be Asian or very much felt like excluded from Asian spaces on a yeah. few instances, but not like, Oh, boohoo, poor me. It's just like, Oh, that happened. And that's something that happened in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, so when I was like, I wasn't super attracted to Asian people growing up, like in high school up until college when I was like actually around lots of Asian people, I was like, Oh, you're not just my sister. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> or my brother. Right. Yeah, yeah. Cause there totally. was like an incestuous kind of vibe. Cause yeah, the only Asian like- people, 
Is Go it ahead, gross yeah. if I'm attracted to Asian people because my dad's Asian and because my sisters are Asian? Is right. It, is it some kind of weird Freudian thing that I should be avoiding? Right, and it's like no, not really. Like <laughs> just just because that's the way I grew short up. Short answer, like, no. No, short answer is no, because otherwise all like all Asian people wouldn't exist or all you know whatever yeah, it be. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Uh, so I definitely had that, and it was in college that I was, I, I was just walking around and I was like, wow, and that Asian girl's really really pretty. Huh. And I had like a moment, I was like literally walking down the street, not like I was objectifying her, just like I, I recognized in yeah, myself, yeah. you know, yeah. um, I was like, oh, this is weird. This is shifting. Yeah. I'm, I'm just yeah. noticing in this myself, you know, yeah. um, it's so funny. Um, but I feel like you get so much, like you get so much judgment either way when you're a person who's mixed race and you're dating, because it's like, you know, if you're dating someone who is Asian, it is that whole thing of like, you know, that Freudian thing of like, oh, of course she'd want to date someone who's Asian, like her dad. That's so, that's so like typical. And if you're dating someone who's white, you're like, oh, cool. Like race trader. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> of course you're, the Asian woman's dating a white guy, you know, like you just sure. can't win. But do you, do you find that with you? Cause it's probably different being a man in that situation. I feel like it is a little bit different. Um, I do, there are times where I recognize my Asian-ness when I'm in certain white spaces, specifically in LA. And it might be that I've just come to have come to an awareness of this, but there are certain kinds of people who, I'm not sure. When I walk down the street in me, in my body, certain things and certain people just recognize me or like different energies like interact. And we know, like I'll notice certain people and other people will notice me on an attraction, sexual, whatever energy level. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do notice... Okay, we get it. You get checked out a lot. Okay. No, 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 no. I'm not saying that. I'm just... I, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that like okay, it's just... Okay, we get it. You're that, hot. Okay. Uh, I am not. <laughs> I am... I am just me. Um, but um, I will recognize certain times like when I'm walking around some white women that there's there's like a weird blocking field. Like oh. it's like I, I am invisible to them. And it's really yeah. interesting. Wow. And it's like, oh. And it's not all white women. It's not like... And, and I'm sure it happens with lots of other people. And I, and I know that it's just very, it's a, like a, a very specific energy yeah, with oftentimes yeah. like, hmm. but it's, it's very powerful to me when I do, when I don't feel that with other white women or I'm like, oh, wow, you're actually open to this. And I don't even like mean like, I don't know even, it's not even like a sexual thing. It's just like a, I don't know how else to describe it. I it's think like the invisibility, so- the, the invisibility that you speak of resonates with me in that sure. regard. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Something like that. It's like, oh, you actually see yeah. me. Yeah. Like older women, like women past 40, like speak of this a lot as of suddenly becoming invisible to the world, which is terrifying because hopefully that's going to be me one day. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, that that is um, that's frightening and scary. And, and for some people, it's liberating, too. But, you know, <laughs> there's a whole I don't know. Do you feel like one thing I was going to ask you is, do you feel like you when you're in a, a hetero relationship with a white guy, do you feel like you see yourself as the Asian woman or as like, you know I mean? Like, do you feel like you mentioned like other people going, Oh, she's just, you know, the Asian girl with the white guy, like other people, but how do you process that for yourself? And I'm not saying it's bad or good, or I just am interested. Yeah. I mean, I definitely try not to look at it like that because it's a pretty gross lens to view yourself as, but I definitely always have that awareness, especially like, because the older, like basically the more that I immerse myself in my career, the more Asian 
community that I'm building and the more time that I'm spending with the Asian community on work that I'm making because I have more people that I can work with now and so I'm usually choosing to work with Asian diaspora because it's generally the themes of my work so when I like bring my white partner to staff or talk about him I do feel that kind of like um not like it's probably a self-imposed judgment but it definitely does um, way on my mind as something that's not quite yet socially accepted in a way not that interracial couples are like really revolutionary um, but I think it's it is that judgment more more of anything that I'm speaking to is that judgment of you know being the Asian woman and I definitely don't that's when my Asian-ness does become super um, stark by comparison because my partner's white and so the comparison is always going to be like choosing. People will always choose to see my Asianness when they're looking at my relationship with the white guy. Yeah, because it, it, the, there's a weird perverse thing. Well, actually, it actually didn't really happen that much to me specifically, but I've heard of it happening um, when I was dating white women. Like it wasn't a thing for me. It wasn't like uh, yeah, I'm dating a white woman because I just it was just was normal to me. Um, and since I've yeah, moved out, yeah. moved out here and recognize that other Asian males don't have that, that same experience and do have that kind of emasculating, not able to mm-hmm. uh, like get whatever it is. There's like a weird objectification of white women, which is yeah. kind of freaky to me. And yeah. I, that's kind of, I don't know, like I'm always kind of grossed out by it, but I also get it. Like it's, I, I understand it conceptually, but I haven't felt it. And maybe that's just like a whitish uh, both a white privilege-ish kind of thing that I have being yeah, a trace, but yeah. it might also be just a cultural thing that I grew up in, mm. in spaces where I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I did a series of interviews for um, a short documentary called Asian Men Talk About Sex, which is three minutes in length, but the interviews each lasted for like an hour at least. So yeah, as so I was talking to all these guys about it and it totally is, it's a, it's a trend because it's part of the equation of assimilation and it's um, it's part of the equation of like winning, I guess. So that's kind of where that objectification comes in. Is like it means that I have um, I've made it if I'm dating someone of the race in the country to which I'm looking to be accepted from. Yeah, I don't which know. is so like it's sad in a way. It's it, sad. It like, like I get it, and it's sad. Kind of in that regard too. But I've definitely had people like, you know, oh, you're so exotic, you know, oh, you're like, it's so interesting. Like, tell me more about like where you're from. Do you mostly get that from white guys or do you, who do you get that from? (laughs) Yes, pretty much only like white guys or like non-Asian people. And I get like, I get it. Like, you know, race and culture are an important part of who you are. But when you, when you have it up front, it's obvious that they're talking just about how you look and like how you look to them if it's equating it with like this exotic fetishes fetishization, it's like not about who I am and not about being attracted to who I am as a person, which makes you feel like an object and it's just gross. Yeah. And do you feel like, do you feel like that you primarily, I know you just said mostly from white, white folks, but do you, have you got that from other, like whether it be Asian folks or, or any other person or kind of persons you've been dating? Hmm. Not as much, to be honest, because I feel like they probably get it. But I definitely have got it from... I mean, that one girl who I was dating was like, oh, that was just... 
That was just such a bad example of like how shit people can be, even if they are, you know, a person of color or an Asian person. So I, I definitely would say it exists. And I think I think what's gross is like sometimes I do get like people who are mixed, people who are full um, ethnically Asian, like getting like guys or girls being like envious of my whiteness. And being like, oh, you're so lucky that you're, like, mixed race. Or you're so, like, oh, you're so pretty because you're mixed race. And, like, coming from an Asian person, it just feels so sad and so gross. Yeah. Because, like, in, in a different way that is, like, just deeply sad to me. Hmm. How do you notice your own, you've said the word internalized racism. How does that work for you? Yeah, I definitely, like, I definitely probably notice my internalized racism much more when it comes to dating women because it's been like I didn't regularly start dating women until like a year and a half ago because of like just like loads of internalized homophobia and I when I when I came out at uni I had a bad experience with someone who was just like quite aggressive and like I don't really recognize that as like harassment or sexual harassment because it was from a woman and so that really fucked me up and I kind of went back in the closet a bit um so yeah like I guess but I guess like the great thing about like dating women now is that like I do have a perspective on like it's easier to see my problematic behaviors which is like yeah definitely like have dated more white women than non-white women to start with because I don't know why I think it probably just is that internalized that socialized you know racism that permeates through every aspect of your life, including dating culture. Like, is there a percentage of, do you feel like I'm more attracted to this or more attracted in terms of like specifically male, female or, or, or gender nonconforming or well, anything? Do you have a... I feel like previously I was like, I always called myself like 60, 40 uh, towards like, like men, 60 women, 40, but probably over the, but I wasn't actively dating women. So I, I really didn't know how I like made that, like, you know, like made that, um, kind of link to be honest I think that I identify now as pansexual because I was dating a trans person who was non-binary identifying for um a year and it really just made me yeah it just really um opened my eyes to the fact that I really am open to anything as long as like I'm attracted to the person and like obviously obviously they gotta be hot and I gotta like find them physically attractive as well but I don't think that gender is a factor and I think the biggest factor in, like, the reason that, like, if you look at my dating history and see that it's, like, mostly men, it's just socialized. It's just social pressure. And as liberal as I like to think I am and as, like, supportive as my parents are, like, there's still a lot of internalized sexism that prevented me from dating women. And, like, that kind of fear around being a gross predatory lesbian, which I think is, like, kind of was one of my first influences when I came out was like interacting with the gross predatory lesbian. I didn't want to become that. So yeah, lots of different factors, but I think for me now it's like, I'd like to think it's pretty much anything goes. <laughs> That's the thing, right? Cause I, I feel like I'm, I, I dated a non-binary uh, person too. And, and so there was like, 
labels are weird. Uh, <laughs> labels are yeah, weird. Yeah. Um, they they both can really support people in uh-huh. in identifying and and situating aspects of of one's identity, but also can be oddly uh, concrete to a, to a point where they start to lose meaning and start yeah. to or like alienate um, people from yeah things or trapping people in in a particular yeah. kind of you know too. So um, I haven't. I'm probably in the same boat as you. I don't like I, I've I've used terms buy and pan before but i don't like something about them don't also feel right even if they're possibly right but like also sometimes just because i dated a a non-binary person doesn't like or i'm attracted to trans people from time to time like i haven't i haven't dated a trans person like how like there's also part of like what can i claim and what can i not claim you know yeah Um, but i think it's that thing of like that thing of like um you have to prove your validation you have to validate yourself before you can claim one or the other and I think that that's probably like similar to a mixed race um, experience where it's like okay how Asian do I have to be to be able to call myself Asian like how white do I have to be to call myself white I think it's really similar in like sexuality and and dating is like I probably wasn't super loud about the fact that I was bi or pan until I dated, until I got into a serious relationship with someone who was a trans non-binary person, and then I could be like, cool, yeah, now I can prove it, and like, I always felt that way, but I just felt like, you know, I needed the proof to be able to be, like, loud and proud about it, which is so shitty, because if you feel that way, that should be enough. Yeah, and I, and I get that, um, it's it's a hard one. It's a sticky one because I know like a lot of my gay friends will be like not not just to me, just to other whether it be bi curious or bi or you know anywhere on the spectrum people um, who aren't fully gay. Like, well, come on, like you're not you haven't been through what we've been through, and I and I get it. We in many cases mm. we haven't. So there I'm not trying to like involved, yeah. right. So so there, I, I'm not uh, negating their experience, and I'm and I'm not trying to say I am the same thing because because it's not. Um, and I acknowledge that at least in my experience. Um, but there is in my head going like I know plenty of people who are gay who've never actually been with guys because of their their own internalized like like for instance I have a a friend who is uh very much conservative Christian who identifies as gay and has never been with a guy and Mm -hmm. like I think it's kind of from my perspective sad and uh um and a sad situation but you know that's his life and he gets to choose for himself how he wants to live it and so for him he's choosing not to be with men and as weird as i i think that is and as sad as i think that is like that's his life and that's his experience but that doesn't mean he's not gay and he even identifies totally. as gay even if he's not ever been with a guy and yeah. that's that's a whole another thing about that but uh so i i get that um and how you how one feels in the moment in, yeah. in that in terms of their identity um yeah yeah and i think that's like kind of where like proudly asian theater came from is that like we kind of recognize me and my co-founder James Roque, like we kind of realize the nuance in the conversation of like, no one can tell you what Asianness is in a diaspora context. It can be whatever you want it to be. And it is whatever it is for you. And if you feel Asian enough to call yourself Asian, then just do it. So yeah, I think it's a similar thing for me anyway. I I feel like it's similar when it comes to sexuality is that that rule applies um, because I think that, yeah, like like myself and like, like you, like we both live in like two kind of in-between spaces. Do, do you feel like, um, like being biracial like is helpful to help you navigate being 
bisexual or pansexual or however you like to identify. It, wait, is helpful in what? And and navigating being bisexual or bi, um, pansexual or however you want to call yourself. By never getting, you mean like identifying, or yeah, yeah, or just yeah. like figuring figuring out like how that sits within you. Like, do you feel like because you have had to already have the biracial conversation with yourself, you're like more equipped to deal with being in another kind of aspect of in between? So I I a hundred percent believe so, and I think this is a big part of like how I've like started to conceive myself, and I think it's also ridiculous. Like I'm making fun of myself as I'm doing it. Like <laughs> yeah. I am not as like self serious. Like I can do these things because of this. Like no, it's, but at the same time, there is a part of me that's like, ah, uh-huh, I wonder if. And so part of it is like I think so. I think being in the middle of uh, kind of a polarized uh, or seemingly polarized um, space has definitely supported me. So for since I also grew up extremely conservative in, yeah, in like right. evangelical American, and so there yeah. was like and you were homeschooled as well, and I was homeschooled, was, right? Yeah. yeah, whole a whole different deal. I didn't grow up in a cult, but it was close, I and mean, it wasn't really. But uh, uh, but like very conservative, like the Earth is like five thousand years old. Global warming doesn't exist. Abortions oh are the god. worst thing women can wow. do. Gays go to hell. Like oh my god, actually actually gays don't go to hell because we don't even talk about them. We'll only erase them from like our conversation because oh we don't want any god. of our children to be gay. Yeah, I, I definitely grew up in that. Uh, there's a lot of beautiful people who live in that, but there's yeah. a lot of like really messed up stuff that I grew up with oh that I have been coming to terms with only in the last, I'd say, five or so years. Yeah. Um, and so, and I also kind of went hard left um, in my early 20s, I'd say. Mm. Um, and if now, hard left in terms of like, diving intellectually into you know queer theory and feminist theory and Mm. um and and also those experiences and and trying to um really open myself up to a bunch of different things and so now i exist not between those things but with an understanding of both yeah now uh both intellectually and in some of my lived experience um so i know what it's like to be at least a mixed race person but like conservative evangelical christian voting republican listening to Rush Limbaugh, who's like a, a, a conservative radio host, you know, mm. and going, the liberals are insane. I don't get them. Like, cause I was that guy. Um, yeah. and now I get, you know, I get most of the left politics and policies, at least in the U S and like when I'm having these conversations, I understand that. So I, even in politics, I feel like I'm able to understand both sides. And I actually, I actually think being mixed race and between several different things helped in and I don't know why that helps, but it seems to me just mm. like in my self-conception of how I view myself and how I view the world existing mm-hmm. between things, it really has helped in a lot of different spheres, politically, uh, in terms of a, a sexual identity realm. Mm-hmm. Um, the the one thing that I, f- I feel decently okay in is gender identity. Like yeah. that's one thing I'm like, kind of like, well, I guess... I guess I'm male. Like that's been one thing that I haven't really questioned and been okay existing in like a male space and yeah. acknowledging the privileges and, and things that come with it too, of course, but also just going, Oh, I guess I don't have to struggle with this one for whatever reason. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yes. Finally a binary identity. Like, like what? I, that I can like, <laughs> Oh, I, I guess like I'm a, a relative. Yeah. Like I'm a still like a relatively effeminate male or like, like there's lots of things that I don't fit into whatever it means to be male and like whatever that means. But like, yeah, yeah. I'm still like male at the end of the day in terms of how I see myself. You know? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Do you, have you ever had like a moment where you're like, I don't know. Is that something that you've been, you've, you've thought about for yourself? Um, I, I think I, I used to a lot as a kid, weirdly, because, um, my family is like, uh, I mentioned before I had three sisters, no brothers. 
And, um, in Chinese families, they really want you to have a son to carry on the lineage of the, of the family, etc. Um, and I think my dad was supremely liberal and, um, kind of the black sheep of his family, but some of his friends and family would mention quite a lot, you know, like, oh, what a shame you have four daughters. Like, when are you going to have a son? You know, oh, where's, where's the boy at? You know, like, surely you have a son by now, etc. And like, you know, we would hear, overhear these conversations. And as a result, both of my parents really doubled down on the whole, the, just rebuilding that narrative of women can do anything. You know, we don't need men. Like, boys are irrelevant to us. We have our perfect family unit and we're fine as we are. And you can do anything a boy can do and, and better. And so I kind of grew up, like, I don't know if this was the direct influence of that, but I grew up um, like a massive tomboy. And um, Disney's Mulan was, like, my, my like, hero movie because, because she was Asian, but also because she was a massive tomboy. And she d wasn't, like, a gender-conforming woman, and she really struggled with her femininity. And she, felt, she was most comfortable when she was, like, you know, kind of pretending to be a man. And I think that that really influenced me a lot, and it took me much longer than a lot of people that I knew to discover my femininity. And so I guess, like, I've never questioned, like, I guess I've kind of come back to it now, and real, I really, like, fell in love with being feminine. Um, and then kind of when I had my year of dating a non-binary person, that just, like... It kind of blew my mind and made me question a lot of choices that I was making around, like, compromising my own gender expression to be more socially palatable. Um, yeah, and I think, I think um, it's more the thing of, like, now that I identify as queer, I feel like the choices that I make in my gender expression are way more open and free. And I don't have to worry about, like, being too masculine or, like, dressing too masculine or, you know, expressing myself in any kind of way that is to this or that. Because being amongst that community really showed me that being a woman isn't just one thing. And I think that, weirdly, it's a, it's a supremely simple lesson, but it took me a really long time to figure that out. But yeah. I think I'm happy being a woman now that I know that it means more than one thing. Totally. That's great. That's, yeah. um, hmm. Wow. Heartwarming stuff. Heartwarming <laughs> stuff. Heartwarming yeah. stuff for sure. Well, it's it. been, um, it's been great chatting with you. Yeah. Uh, it's just, um, it's, I had no idea exactly what I was, um, I mean, I had a, a few things that I wanted to chat about, but we went all over and I, I loved it. Yeah, um, I hope some it, of it's useful. Oh, 100%. Um, I'm really curious to see what else um, other people say and what, what kind of correlations you make, if any. Yeah, me too. I'm fascinated. I have no idea. Um, is, there, is there a place that people can um, find your work or anything that you want to uh, plug or anything you want to chat about, about in terms of like what stuff you're up to? Yeah, um, I'm shooting a web series called Life is Easy, which is, um, we'll have our Instagram page up very soon. But in the meantime, you can just follow my Instagram and I'll check it on up there. Um, Chiling.huang, or you can go to Proudly Asian Theatre on Instagram, Pat for short. 
Um, we're also on Facebook and we have a website. So if you want to um, keep up to date with our events, we have a monthly play reading series in Auckland. Um, and if you want to read the scripts from those play readings, you can email us and we can send them over. Um, what else? Yeah, just go follow our Facebook page and we'll post most of our stuff there if you're interested in being part of the fam. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on and having this conversation. Thanks for having me. It was, this was great. super fun. It was great. Well, that was my conversation with Shailene Wong. Hope you enjoyed. Feel free to rate, review, and subscribe, all that jazz. Last week, we had our little meetup in Los Angeles. It was great. Kind of quiet. We're going to be having another one in September. We'll let you know the details 